Okay, so she came to work really upset. It was that day that um, there was the Black Lives Matter demonstration in downtown Dallas, and there was the shootings, right? A lot of cops and I think a D, uh, DART a cop uh, got shot. So she came to work really upset, and um, one of my other coworkers noticed, so we called sort of a like impromptu prayer meeting, which isn't uncommon at our work. And um, we were talking, and my coworker who's black was sharing that that morning her son, who's 20-something, and lives and works uh, in downtown Dallas, called her crying, really upset, just confused and, and kind of not certain about his feelings, saying, Mom, I'm scared to leave my house, I'm scared to leave my apartment to go to work. And this is like a grown guy, you know, it's like our, most of our age kind of thing. But she was sharing about how she just never thought that she'd be in a situation in our world, our country, our state, and our city where her son would be scared about what's going on, scared about leaving his own apartment just to go to work on a normal weekday. But she was sharing about that and just crying, and um, you could tell she was kind of trying to figure out her feelings too. One of my other coworkers who is white said, um, kind of like put her arm around her to console her and said, listen, you know, I, I just want you to know I, I don't see you as black. I just see you as my sister in Christ, you know? And you could tell that in her voice, she was trying to be really sincere, like empathize and really connect. But what she's sort of saying is, hey, this thing that is important about this issue, this thing that's important about your life and who you are and who you see yourself as and what, what kind of community you belong to, I don't see that part of you. I just see this other part of you. Almost kind of like ignoring the whole thing that she's upset about, right? So it was in that moment, I was sitting there pretty embarrassed and like weirded out or whatever. I was like, I became woke. You know? <laughs> so, um, what, no, what's crazy though is that, like, that serious divide between what my coworker, who's white, was really trying to communicate and, and the divide between what was heard. I'm sure something um, pretty different by my coworker who's black. You know, she probably didn't hear something like, oh wow, like, you really get what I'm going through. She probably heard like, oh cool, you're ignoring the, part, the thing that I'm going through. But it's just really interesting, and that's like super blatant colorblindness, kind of literally saying, I don't see your color, you know? Like, you could be like, white, you could be gray, who knows? Um, but it's just super weird, but there's like, that's really extreme, but there's all kinds of ways, of course, that happens in our world, our society, and our relationships and stuff. And so the, the questions we're kind of trying to approach that um, I think Sierra or Brad, someone wrote these questions, so the things we're going to try to... Sierra. Sierra, sweet. Um, tackle in this, this sermon is um, how do we acknowledge the importance of race and treat people fair, fairly without falling into the trap of being colorblind? What does the scripture say about this idea how does personhood and the image of God shape our ideas on this? And how do we minister to those who are of different races than us? Um, so just real quick, who thinks that we like, kind of have this figured out in our country? Like that we've like totally got this figured out. I was hoping no one would raise their hands. Good. Um, <laughs> well, what, so what about, okay, our country, yeah, definitely not. So what about our church? 
do we think do we have this kind of figured out, or is this a problem? Okay, don't have it figured out there. So in that case, you know, why do we care about figuring this out? Why is it even something that we want to talk about or discuss or try to solve or whatever? And I think I have sort of a, a general idea because I'm not like, you know, outside looking in. I'm part of this church. We're all part of this church together. Um, I think one of the biggest biggest things that we that we love God, and uh, the first commandment um, later on when Jesus said the first the, those two commandments that are really important is to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So I think in a general sense that's our approach that we want to love God and follow Him, especially on issues that are at our doorstep and everything. And the second is that we want to love His people. We want to love God's people just like God loves us. So we want to really figure out. Okay, if we don't know how to minister to people of other races and ethnicities, how can we do that? And then the third thing is just the Great Commission. So these are all pretty simple things that kind of apply to everything. But we want to follow Jesus' commandment um, to go and share the gospel and his love with everyone everywhere. And so um, if that's why we care about this, what we want to do, um, then God really has to be our guide in figuring this out. Because our whole reason for for wanting to answer these questions and, and change our hearts and change our community is because we want to be on the same page as God and want to follow him. And so uh, it's, it's pretty easy to let other things be our guide, like cool articles that are shared or this video of this conversation or this speaker who's controversial or whatever. But uh, if that's all we're looking at, we're definitely going to get off base for sure. And so God has to be our guide. And luckily, there's a lot on this, um, on this topic. But at the same time, even when we're trying to follow God and look at his word to decide you know, what we're going to do, we can approach the word and approach God in prayer um, in ways that, that we really try to validate the ideas we already have. And so there's a really, like, really weird example of this. Um, in, did you get those scriptures, I think? Awesome. In Genesis 9, 20 through 27. So this is kind of crazy. Um, this is called by a lot of people the curse of ham, which doesn't actually have anything to do with eating too much ham at Thanksgiving and the stuff that happens later. Um, so it's in Genesis 9, 20 through 27. Um, is that right? Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, we don't have any kids in here, right? Um, and, and, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke, from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, um, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So, pretty weird story. Um, but believe it or not, people have used that passage for a long time to justify slavery. Um, it goes back as far as like, I don't know, way longer than you expect. I think like 1600s or something. Like really ridiculous. And so the, the 
um, way that people interpreted this was like, okay, sweet. So Ham was cursed and had to be a servant. So Ham must have either had dark skin or whenever he got cursed, his skin became dark. So that's cool because that's part of like what God wanted. And so that's why some people are slaves. Now is like literally a justification people use for slavery for a long time. So even when we're using God as our guide, we can easily get off base, especially when we really want to make things say ridiculous stuff. And so that's, that's kind of the example of ridiculousness. But it just, it's just easy to read from a white point of view a lot of times um, um, and, and view people in the Bible from a white point of view. And um, I kind of was, was researching to try to find out where white people came from and um, trying to dig up. And, of course, when you search on the Internet for this kind of thing, it's crazy. We go fine. But um, most articles and most just documents and stuff talk about how, oh, yeah, they were in this area in Europe for a long time, blah, 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 Central Asia, Scandinavia, whatever. And it's like, okay, but what about before then? Like, where did white people come from? Um, because there's almost no disagreement that the earliest fossils we have are people from Ethiopia by, like, a long margin, like, Really, really super old fossils, people from Ethiopia with dark skin. So it was like, at what point did white people happen? And so just as a really short, like, layman's, like, crunching of stuff I was reading that's kind of, like, crazy but also very plausible is that um, slow albino mutations, we think of albinism as, like, this full-on or full-off kind of thing where you're, like, super white, ghostly, and, like, pink eyes and white hair. But that's not really the case, actually. And so there's evidence of like people who are groups of, of families here that are black that have um, like blue eyes or something like that. There's like people groups that have had those kind of traits floating around. And so um, the, the best guess is that at some point, um, because it's not a very advantageous um, mutation to have like super light skin in like a country in Africa where there's a lot of sun, um, they, those people would have only actually survived after people had sort of migrated out and started settling in different places like Europe where there's less intense sunlight. So it's just like weird to think that we approach stuff from this very white point of view as if it's kind of like the main way of looking at things when really in the history of humanity, whiteness is one, a mutation, it's not very advantageous, and it was later on. So um, it's just kind of weird when you think about like white depictions of Jesus. Like, that's super weird. We should be like weirded out by that stuff. Um, and, and white is like one of the probably the least likely colors of all the colors Jesus could have been. Like black is more likely than white and like most likely Middle Eastern looking. So just we got to really figure out what ways we are. It's going to take a lot of thinking too and thinking critically about what we read and what we watch and, and what we're okay with. But like just realizing, oh, dang, we have a lot of weird assumptions like thinking Jesus is white and that he has like blonde hair and blue eyes. That's real, though. I mean, like, it's, it's easy to make fun of, but people think that. And it's also hard to change that whenever you've had this vision of what Jesus looks like for a long time. So you have to have grace or whatever. Um, <laughs> so, so God has to be our guide because we, we, can, we can get off um, from what God means in the scriptures, and we can get off on our perspective even before we even read the scriptures. And so if we look at the very beginning when Adam was created in Genesis 1, um, 26 through 28, um, then God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that's how we're created, in God's image, and given a uh, pretty quick commandment immediately to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so um, one thing that's interesting is um, Adam being the first man would have had to have all the genetic potential for all the types of people after him, all the colors, all the colors of skin, colors of hair, colors of eyes, um, faces that are beautiful, faces that are not. Um, and um, that would have had to be part of Adam. And he was, he was created by God, straight up, like, designed by God. So this is something that was, that was part of the plan and, and not like an accident where God was like, oh, I did not see that coming. Weird that they, there's some differences. Um, you know what I mean? It's just, and even the fact that, like, human bodies are complex, and I think that's, like, very much a, uh, uh, a credit to God being really creative and, and a very complex and very um, awesome God. And so um, one thing that also kind of skipping over to Psalms that really speaks to this and speaks to how we are made um, now, not just Adam, is that um, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were, in, that were formed for me, when as yet they were, there, were, there was none of them. It's kind of interesting because I think about, like, what if you stumbled across the weird hole in the earth where all of our unformed substances are kind of pooled in, like, blobs? Um, that'd be kind of weird. But this really reminds me, it's like, we're, we are knit together, we're designed, we're not this accident, it's not like... Like, I used to kind of accidentally think, like, um, like a lot of, you know, former presidents and stuff, like a deist, where this idea that, like, God created the world and kind of let it run just to see what would happen. And, um, but that is very clearly not the case from, from this passage and from many other passages. It reminds me of Bradley's poem um, a few weeks ago. Like, the things that we have, the ways that we are designed and made, like, like I think it, the, one of the lines was, God gave me my skin a different hue. It's like true. Like, God designed us with the skin we have, um, with the hair we have, the eyes we have, in the culture we're in, the country we're born in, the family we're in, and um, those things are all on purpose, I think. And uh, I, I would have, I had a hard time finding something of the contrary uh, in the Bible. And, um, and then, kind of thinking back about the, the command that was given in Genesis to fill the earth and subdue it, um, also, uh, you know, Adam wasn't left alone God created Eve, and um, and so he wasn't just like cool. Now there's two people. We're good. At the same time, he also gave them the ability to um, multiply and fill the earth. And so um, it's not only that we shouldn't be alone; that we should have someone with us. We're also supposed to be in community. Naturally, um, as they start to multiply and fill the earth, there's going to be communities, and that was a, a God design. That was a God commandment. Um, and and then after that, you know, jumping. A ways to where we are now, 
God-given creativity led to us creating the cultures of the world. Um, and so it wasn't an accident. Um, this is even talked about later on in Acts. Um, they kind of jump back and, and mention something, which is pretty cool. In Acts 17, 24 through 27. Um, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So it's like, that's part of God's plan, that there would be different nations, different communities, different cultures, and, and God is actually not far from any of them. It's easy for us to think in our sort of own area, and it's probably easy for everyone in their own culture, to think that they, they're believers, they're a little bit, their own culture and everything is really a part of following God, and that they might be closer to him than, say, another culture. That really doesn't seem to be the case from this passage, um, where it's really, it says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So it's just, it's just very, very um, interesting how clear it is and how many times it's mentioned that this is all part of God's plan, but it's easy for us to kind of get off course and, um, and think that we should all look the same or sound the same or that that's part of, like, the ignoring culture and, and race and ethnicity is a, is a good thing at all. Um, and it's easy for us to get off course, and it was certainly easy for the early people in um, Genesis. So it didn't take long before people kind of messed stuff up in the Tower of Babel. And so that's the next little um, piece I'm going to read in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. This is the only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord there had confused their language of the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. This is only like ten chapters after um, man was created, and we were given this commandment to go forth and multiply and subdue the earth. And then um, their whole, like, the thing they say is, like, um, let us build ourselves a city and a tower um, with the top to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed with the face of the whole earth. So it's like this act of kind of, like, very much against the, the almost the wording is really similar to what God told us to do as, as humans. And so they are like, oh, let's all be the same. Well, look the same, do the same, build the same, and just make one massive thing. And it's all about us. It's all about making our name great. Um, which sounds a lot like some countries I know. And, um, and that's really um, clearly, it's, it's pretty clear how God felt about that. He wanted um, 
them to go forth and multiply, spread across the earth, and be different. He didn't want them to be all the same. He wanted them to be different, and I think um, that's because as we are made in God's image, um, that diversity is what reflects God's image, reflects the complexity of God. So if we're all the same, that would be reflecting that God is like this very simple one and the same kind of thing. And of course, that's not the case. We're still trying to figure him out, like, what is it, like 5,000 years later. And so um, it's pretty clear how God feels about that and, um, and their desires to sort of bring God on their level or just um, ignore his, his sort of commandments altogether or straight up rebel against them. It's not super clear, but, you know, what they said sounds exactly like the opposite of what God said. So it's not that different from colorblindness today. If we even have small um, um, efforts in our own communities to try to look the same and sound the same, it's really not that different um, than, than trying to do what God said is to spread out, multiply, um, and, and be diverse in the cultures and stuff that he planned. And so we have to be careful of, of that and not trying to, to squash or, or um, snuff out differences in diversity. Um, and so that's just really, really interesting. So it didn't take them that long to get off course. Um, I'm not going to actually read this, but then just not that long later, um, with Abraham, the wording God uses whenever he says Abraham, he's blessing Abraham, is that he's blessing him to be a blessing to other nations. So then again is another example of God really wanting the world and the nations to be blessed. And the plan wasn't for Israel to be this cool country that had a name for itself and had a tower really tall and everything like that. The plan was that they would be a blessing to other nations and, and uh, sort of be almost like a missionary country. And so um, uh, that's, it's interesting how many things are packed in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis um, that really tell us a lot about how God feels about culture and, um, and color and nations. And um, I'm going to jump through a couple other examples that I found um, to give us an idea of how God feels about this. And then we're going to try to see what we should do about it and how we change um, our community or how we change our daily lives or whatever. And so um, another cool example I found that's really similar to the Tower of Babel was when the Holy Spirit comes Pentecost in Acts. Um, so Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Um, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of those who are speaking um, Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mock, mocking said, I wasn't going to read this part because it's kind of confusing. Um, and not that 
part of the point. I was mocked and said, they're filled with new wine. Um, what do y'all think about that? Isn't that crazy? Like, Tower of Babel, God's like, go speak different languages. Go do stuff. Go make different cultures. And then in Acts, when he comes, instead of saying, you know, I'm going to make everybody speak the same, suddenly all the, the divisions um, of different languages and cultures are going to fall away. Something like that. Instead of doing that, God, when he came as the Holy Spirit, decided to be heard in everyone's own language. He decided instead of picking one sort of culture or language that was going to be the right one or the one that's of God, um, that everyone was going to be able to hear him um, and, and hear the, the preaching in their own language. Just crazy. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see, to read those, the Tower of Babel and Acts um, uh, right back to back. Um, to me, that just seemed like a really cool um, window into God's character and how he feels about this um, in, in his uh, choice of how he reveals himself. Um, and there are so many, I would encourage you to do this because it's kind of cool. There's so many uh, different places in the Bible that talk about all the tribes and nations and tongues, and there's just a lot. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool to, to read because it's not like all the humans that look the same or something. Um, and I would encourage you to just kind of search around and stuff because it's just cool to see how many times there are um, there are scriptures about that. Okay, now I'm going to jump to Revelation, I'm cutting out a ton of the New Testament. Um, and... Um, and then we're going to see what, uh, what we should be doing. So Revelation um, 7, 9 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Um, so this is a window into kind of what heaven looks like. And again, it's, it's very clearly written, every nation, tribes, peoples, languages. And so if, you're, if we're kind of zooming out, looking at these different little snapshots from across the whole Bible, it's like we are created and told to go forth, multiply, make different cultures and communities. Um, we mess up along the way. And um, in Psalm, it says we're knit together in our mother's womb. When the Holy Spirit comes and acts, um, God speaks everyone else's languages. And in Revelation, um, everyone is different tribes, tongues, nations, languages. So at no point in God's timeline of how he wanted to redeem the world and make it new did he decide to make us all be the same. He didn't decide one type of person is more like what I wanted or created than any other type. And it's just really cool how that's a true across. You know, there's not any point where God changes his mind or decides to kind of just change us to be all the same or to be all these, like, you know, um, ghostly... Um, like angelic figures or something. But the diversity that we have that he created on purpose in us remains across humanity and, and is, um, is in his image. And so, um, whew, so that's God's guidance for us throughout the, the word. We can, of course, pray about specific situations, but he's already given us a ton of stuff um, to think on and to really... 
um, to look at and study of how we should we should be in our church, in our country, in our community. And so, um, what do we do? Um, God's given us this, and and we we have to figure out how to act on it. And so, I think one thing we definitely need to do in response to what God's told us is we need to talk. Um, we need to have conversations with individuals about how their ethnicity affects how they view themselves. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing. And, and if we are just looking at articles and we're just um, reading a blog here or there, yeah. we're not getting nearly as good of data as we are as we could if we just talked to people. Yeah, and of course, those are sensitive conversations, so it's not like you can just you know, charge in. But um, really asking those questions is going to give us a lot better idea than, than reading online or looking at statistics. Um, and then not just asking how their ethnicity affects how they view themselves, but, but finding out how that affects their relationship with God mm-hmm. and how they view God. Because they might have you know, this idea um, that is pretty counter-scriptural, that they are um, inferior or not designed in the way that God made them to be, but they are. Um, it's really hard work to affirm that people are made in God's image and that they, just like us, uh, were knit together with the skin that they have, the hair they have, the eyes that they have. Um, and the face they have for some of us is kind of unfortunate, but um, <laughs> we also we can't downplay ethnicity in ministry. We can't downplay ethnicity in ministry because it's important to God. Clearly, it's important to God, and uh, it really reflects His creat- creativity and character. Like what what any one of us, if we were making the world, would have would have thought about how many different ways people could look and act and talk and celebrate and. Um, all these things that, that are part of um, our world that God made there. And of course, every culture has sin, so we're not saying that, that that's you know, um, uh, being ignored because there's a lot of, of parts of our different cultures and in the U.S. even that we would have a hard time finding more good things than bad things in our culture. But at the same time, um, the uniqueness and the creativity we see is a, is a testament to God. That's, that's what he did good things that we see in other cultures um, we, should, we should give God praise for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's um, tribes and nations and tongues are addressing the gospel so we shouldn't be avoiding that. Um, the, even the, the commandment to go preach the gospel to all nations is, um, is a testament to that. So that's something we, we need to talk about. We, we can't downplay it. Yeah. We also need to really learn from ethnic churches. Yeah. Um, many times churches that are are um, of the same ethnicity and kind of formed from a, from a specific group of people uh, are better at addressing societal issues that they themselves face and other ones. Um, and and there are a lot of cultures, almost every culture, um, other than the United States, is better at family and church family in that regard. A, high, a higher value for family and elders and all of that. We, don't, we aren't good examples of that at all in the U.S. Um, so a lot of cultures you can name like Five, like Hispanic culture, uh, even in the Middle East, um, a lot of um, cultures in, um, even in Africa, like different countries in Africa, have a big uh, part about their culture that's like a, um, a honoring to elders and stuff. And so this idea of like, as they translate that into church, oftentimes way better than us at having a tight-knit church family. And so we can really learn from that. And, um, and just the idea that we do have a lot to learn. I think that's a big Thing that we should approach um, um, learning from ethnic churches with is that we aren't the ones to be necessarily teaching a lot. Um, and many ethnic churches understand hardship and suffering in our country better than we do. Um, and so 
churches in our neighborhood or churches like the opportunity to go to Mystica's church, those are awesome opportunities. And, and not to go, like, I really like what she said last week, like, not to go as a sort of, like, sort of cool cultural, like, hipster experience, but to go to really learn and, like, be like, man, we need to take stuff back and we need to learn and, and implement as much as we can from churches that are doing things well. Um, and so we need to really learn from ethnic churches. We need to build bridges. Um, what movements, other than Christianity, span nations, races, genders, ethnicities, uh, rich people and poor people? Um, we are, the church is really well positioned to reach everyone because if you look at our book, that's the point, to reach everyone. And so um, there's, there's almost no one better, there's few things better positioned to connect interculturally, interracially, interethnically, if that's a word, uh, than the church. And so we kind of should have a really good jump start, but, but oftentimes it doesn't look like that. And we can't be content to be separate in our safe spaces. Um, the love of God should compel us if we're really trying to radically follow him. The love of God should compel us to step outside of our boundaries. Um, I'm reminded of that, that MLK quote. It's like, you know, we're going to be extremists for something. We're going to be extremists for love or for hate. And, like, I think that's um, reading a lot of the commandments and, and, um, and ways that Jesus talked. It's like, yeah, we need to be extremists for something. So the love of God should compel us to step outside those boundaries. And lastly, um, we need to recognize and also prioritize. So being white in the U.S., means that we don't have to think about being white very much. Yeah. Um, we don't, um, it doesn't, if, if it gets brought up, especially a lot like in the sermon series, our, our first kind of jerk reaction is to be defensive. Um, and, and it just makes us really uncomfortable because we're not used to being, you know, being brought to our attention. But other people are pretty aware of culture and race and um, their skin color and other people's skin color more often than we are as white people. So if you're white, uh, your perspective and your thoughts are important, but like not even close to as important as your ears to listen, your hands to welcome, your mind to be present and thoughtful, and your heart to be selfless and loving. We like get that wrong so often. We think that like our our view is pretty subjective of the world, or our thoughts, or our opinions, are, like the most important thing that we should have our, as our first step into these kind of conversations but not even close, um, uh, as it is important to hear and listen and welcome and love. Um, I'm going to close with a um, passage from Ephesians, and it's Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and then I'm going to pray, and then um, Austin and Don can come up. Three, I can do that now, actually. Um, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Lord, help us to really connect to your heart on this. And um, to really transform and renew our minds 
um, in every way, but especially on this. God, help us to have a view of creation and of your people um, like you have. Help us to understand and see the beauty of the world you've created uh, the way that you see it. And help us to um, really love others well. God, as a church, we um, are really trying to figure this stuff out. And Lord, we pray that you would guide us. That nothing else um, would be um, what we look to or who we look to for guidance. Um, You're the only one worth following and worth listening to. And God, we want to be on um, on the same page as you. Uh, we, you're doing stuff everywhere, and we want to be part of that. Yeah. Um, so, Lord, show us how to do that, and um, um, just help us to have grace abundantly, and um, to be patient and loving. And um, God, I pray that you would heal um, wounds and misunderstandings, heal rifts heal um, prejudices or um, just gaps in our minds, Lord. Um, Lord, we love you. You're the only one worth praising, the only one worth following. And um, help us just keep our eyes fixed on you and to talk to each other. Um, You're awesome. Be with us as we go. I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.